you are listening to my black is transnational podcast welcome in my name is dr kalechi bay lamberts and on this episode i'll be interviewing mr jeremy kofi and having a conversation with him about one his show the jeremy kofi convo and two his experience as a transnational ghanaian american and what he's doing to bridge the gaps between africans and african americans but before we get into that let's go through our formalities if this is your first time listening to my black is transnational you can follow us on any of your favorite podcast listening apps please be sure to subscribe and download the podcast you can also check us out at our website www.blacktransnational.com that's the space where you can learn everything that you need to know about this podcast from the guest to the history to the past seasons please make sure you rate and review the podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcast and give us a good review and please be sure to leave some feedback if you like what you hear and we can be able to make sure to continue to adjust our content for your ears follow us on instagram at black transnational podcast you can follow me the host at black transnational underscore so i got the opportunity to talk on this episode which i think is episode seven now of season four i got to listen and talk with mr jeremy kofi who um has his own show called the jeremy kofi convo and he had a really interesting episode that talked about the divide between african immigrants and african americans and he does a really good job as far as bringing in content and hosting conversations that really allow people to be vulnerable and be the most authentic self. So I got a chance to be able to get that experience with him and we were able to have a very open, vulnerable conversation about our experiences as transnational black men, um, you know, black immigrants, you know, representing Ghana, representing Nigeria respectfully, and what we're trying to do to bridge the gaps between, you know, um, the black community and African immigrants and African Americans. And we get really open and it even gets emotional to a certain degree for Mr. Kofi. And it was very real and powerful. And I really appreciated him for just being himself. Um, and, I'm, and I'm very excited about what he has to bring forward with his platform and, and him being able to support this platform with bringing such powerful content. Um, it's a conversation that I think we all will enjoy and one that I think we can all appreciate and learn from. So without any further ado, let's get into the show. Enjoy. Welcome to season four of My Dad's Podcast, My Black is Transnational. You can find this podcast on anywhere you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Enjoy the show. Welcome to yet another episode of My Black is Transnational, and I have here on the show today a good brother who I honestly had heard about and whose work I just saw, you know, from a distance, and I felt like it really resonated with me, and it related to what, you know, I like to do, and and just as far as digging into deep conversations with people from where we're from, um, I have brother Jeremy Kofi here from the Jeremy Kofi conversation a convo the jeremy kofi convo actually um who's here to just talk and we're just going to rap about the, the tra- his transnational experience representing ghana um and yes, just and, and you know and just all the things that you're about i really just want to have a convo with jeremy kofi i want to have the jeremy kofi convo so um welcome brother how you doing 
I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Um, and what an introduction that is. <laughs> hey, man, I got to give you your accolades, man, as much as I can. I really am impressed with the stuff that you're doing. Checked out the episodes that you did recently, and I just, I love the setup. I, you know, it's one of those things that I aspire to kind of grow towards to um, with this, with this platform. So, so big ups to you. Well, thank you. You're on your way. You're on your way for sure. Thank you. Well, so before we get started, um, I want you to just, for those who do not know you, and uh, I want to take an opportunity for you to present yourself and just give people a, a quick, you know, intro of who you are, where you represent, where you're from, and, and all the good things about you. Yeah, of course. So like you mentioned, um, you know, I have direct roots in Ghana. Both of my parents are from Ghana, but I was born um, on the south side of Chicago. Right. Grew up in Chicago, been in Chicago most of my life. Um, and, you know, been to back and forth to Ghana throughout my life. Even lived there for a point for about a year. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I did when I was about 10 years old. I was there for a year. Okay. And then I've been back and forth, like I said, um, over the years. I'm 28 now. Okay. Uh, professionally, I work in tech. I work in customer success um, at, in big tech. Okay. And with my day job, um, by night, I host a show called the Jeremy Kofi uh, convo where I talk about a multitude of different issues and topics. I like, like you mentioned earlier, like having deep conversations, I believe. Um, that's why we all here that we learn from each other based yeah. on like our perspective and through vulnerability. So I, I, I use my show as a catalyst for that in any way that I can and make sense for the moment, the season, um, or just, um, you know, for whatever I'm feeling at the moment. I also, you know, I would say fun facts about me, love to travel. Um, I'm a huge Oprah Winfrey fan. Oh, yeah? Like, I am. I don't say that all the time, but I actually do. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. I watch a lot of uh, Inspiring TV, but I also like, watch a lot of a Ratchet TV. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong yeah. with that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an early bird. I wake up every day around 4.30 um, okay. at the gym. And uh, yeah, a couple of things about me. I would say that just keeps me unique or keep, makes me Jeremy Kofi. Man, you know, the, the, the Oprah thing, I rock with it because, you know, as growing up, my mom was a big Oprah, especially, you know, like we're talking about prime Oprah when she had the show at nine o'clock, you know, um, on ABC in Chicago, because I, I grew up in Chicago as well before I moved up to upstate New York via Florida. Uh, so the thing about it that is interesting and I want to know, especially with all the fun facts you shared, is what led you to create your platform? What took you on your journey? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about your upbringing in a, in a mm -hmm. Ghanaian American lifestyle, but I want to kind of just highlight the Jeremy Kofi convo really quickly and, and kind of just learn about how you went about creating that and what inspired that move. Yeah. So I, I studied mass communications in undergrad, um, minored in business, got my MBA in business a few years after. So and originally I wanted to go into media, I wanted to go into television, but I learned pretty early on two things. Mm. You not make a lot of money early on. And also it was a, it's an industry that requires you to become very um, secure in yourself. It's, mm. a, it's a very tough industry. So I kind of, you know, focused on the business right after college. Uh, my best friend asked me a question maybe like a year, a year before, on a few months before I started the show and said, like, what are you passionate about? And I said, I don't know. Hmm. Um, at the time, I was also grieving um, one of my friends that passed away and then my cousin that passed away. And I was having all these really deep thoughts. And as he asked me that question, I started to just wrestle with the idea of starting a show that had started a few years before, but it was like now it was intensified. Yeah. 
I started talking. I don't know if you watched uh, episode two of my show. I had a guest, a friend of mine, Kiara, who talked about her mom that committed suicide. Yeah, yeah. I took her out to dinner to Red Lobster to ask her as I was thinking about doing the show. And I was like, man, I really want to sit down with her and see if she'd be interested. Because I don't know if in asking her to talk about her mom's death, if if that would um, incite some type of like emotion, like I was going to exploit her or whatever. So I had to be careful in my approach. Yeah. When I met with her, um, you know, she was like, I know you want to ask me something, so go ahead and ask me. And I was like, okay. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about doing this show and I was kind of fumbling my words and, uh, you know, a conversation that we had about your mom one day at um, at uh, Chipotle, I wanted to know if you'd be willing to come and talk about it. She said, absolutely, hmm. like that. And I said, okay. I was like, well, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it yet, but if I do, I really would love to dedicate that show to your mom. Hmm. And she just started bawling. Hmm. It was in that moment that I knew I had to at least do it to episode two because I didn't want that to be episode one. I thought it was too heavy, but I didn't want it to be episode two. So I was like, I now I have to do it because in that moment when I saw how much it meant to her, yeah. I had to like uh, make it happen. And so one thing led to another, you know, hired my production team, hired my producers, started the show, and it just one thing led to another. And then I had this platform that then became bigger than myself. Um, so that's kind of how it started it started as like a morning thing my best friend asked me about what my passion was talking to her it was like a multitude of things just kind of came together and then birthed uh the show from all these different experiences yeah yeah no i i, I that's powerful man and i think that's that usually is one of the few types of impetus that kind of helps spur um a platform like which you've created which allows people to be vulnerable open and just have really um, rich conversations that that really focus on, as you said, a multitude of things. One of the things that I found very interesting was the episode that you had that kind of talked about the relationship between African immigrants and African Americans. And when you mm -hmm. put that show together, like what inspired you to to put that episode together? Because I thought that was really dope, and it was lots of people that I know within that um, mm -hmm. in that in that episode too. So it was really cool to see that. <laughs> yeah it's actually one of the shows that's getting a lot of um yes. a lot of commentary and engagement yeah. right now currently a lot of my shows are based in like really t conversations that i have off camera exactly. you know and yeah. that, that's what bursts an idea and then i'll figure out how to produce it in some cases or my team will suggest something that was something that i've been having for years with my friends a lot of my friends are, are, Afro are black americans a lot of my friends are africans obviously i'm African and American, mm. you know. Um, so it was something that I, I thought about and I was like, man, I want to do this. How would I produce it? But it was hard for me to produce it from just having one person on. I wanted to try to grasp uh, enough perspectives that is not, you know, you're trying to get like multiple perspectives in one show, mm -hmm. which, you know, um, and so I had to like, the reason why I did it, whereas like I had the Africans on one side and Blacks on, Black Americans on one side is because um, I was trying to be clear about the distinction for the purposes of that show so we can have an honest conversation right so yeah that that, that show birthed from just like um like man I, I think that's how i want to go out for this season i want to have this conversation that um i'm having with a lot of friends and i think i do think there is a huge disconnect um there and i think particularly for and i'm speaking from my experience at this point mm -hmm. for those of us who were born here but we grew up in households that had like heavy african roots yeah you know and i think it took for a lot of us, a lot of years to be able to unpack that, yeah. 
for like I'm speaking again, speaking from my own perspective, um, and that's why I wanted to have it because I want to talk about that experience that I don't think it's talked about enough. Yeah, and so now you just segued me into what I was going to talk about, which is your upbringing, right? And you just mm -hmm. said you were you, both your parents are from Ghana. You've kind of ex you've kind of indirectly explained the transnational experience in certain sense of you're born into um, a household of African immigrants. You've traveled back to Ghana. You go often. Right. You have a very strong connection with the country, not just, you know, metaphorically, but also physically. You've been there. You spent a year there. And then, you know, in addition to that. Right. You also now are living the American life here in, you know, in, or there in Chicago. And how do you go about constructing your identity or what was that journey like for you to construct your identity with all those factors in play? That's a that's a question. Yeah, yeah, um, that's what we're here that's for. A question. Seriously, it's a question because even the ability to be able to ask that question requires a level of self-awareness that I don't think I got to until like, you know, recently, mm -hmm. you know. You got to think about it from from this way. I grew up in the south side of Chicago. A lot of uh, people that I went to school with, I went to all black school, right. did not understand, did not know about black culture. Mm -hmm. People don't want to admit it now. What but school I'm talking did you go to? Black. Uh, Marcus Garvey. Okay, Garvey. Okay, okay. Marcus Garvey. Um, and so it wasn't cool to be African, you know? Um, and so for those of us, and I know you want to talk about um, assimilation later, uh, assimilation a little later, yeah. but you got to think about when you are in an environment where you are the minority, and I mean that from the perspective of, yes, we were all Black, but being African was not the norm, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So you got things like African beauty scratch, which I was glad uh, one of the guests on my show admitted it. <laughs> I said, like, I'm, thank you for admitting that, you know? And, and so there was a point where I, I and I didn't, I, I couldn't articulate this until recently, I shied away from being African. Mm -hmm. Like, I tried to convince myself that I was Black, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so... It didn't even really dawn on me until later in life that like, wow, um, I have a lot of these unique experiences. And even to this day, it's like, how do you identify? You know, right. like when I go to Ghana, I am not considered um, a Ghanaian by them. Like, you know, realistically, I wasn't born there. They can tell by the way I walk, the way I talk, the way I dress that like I'm not from here. And when I'm here, um, a lot of Black Americans don't consider me to be Black. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until recently where I can say, I can accept both parts of my experience. I don't have to choose or decide, but that took and still takes a little bit of unpacking um, and self-awareness to do. Absolutely. And you know, it's very interesting. And I hope, so it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because there's a consensus that I'm starting to notice just from other episodes that I've done, right? And I recently, there's another one that'll be happening soon where I interviewed um, uh, a young a young woman, a documentary filmmaker. Mm -hmm. She just created she created one for a dissertation at Cornell. It was called um, "Am I Too Af Am I Too African to Be American? Too American to Be African?" It's a dope documentary. Mm -hmm. I suggest you watch it. Wow. Um, very powerful stuff. It was uh, and it, it actually had Issa Rae in there, and she talks about her Senegalese experience, which a lot of people didn't even realize that she's from Senegal. Her peoples are from Senegal, but it's like that idea of being able to just shy away from being African because it was not. And that's the thing that a lot of people tend to forget now because of how cool it is to be mm -hmm. African in these times. People forget yeah. that there was a time that a lot of us, especially those who were born in the you know late 80s, early 90s, you knew like it was tough. High school. You knew the place. Huh? 
You knew your place. You knew your place. You uh, yeah. unless you had the opportunity. Now, if you were one, and for, like I was born in Nigeria, I immigrated at a very young age. Let's say eight. I came yeah, nineteen ninety seven. So I was about eight years old. Oh, you and, had it worse. <laughs> but but Pete, but the thing about it was that you know, for me, it was very easy for me to code switch at a very young age. I learned how to code switch. So my accent, you know, all those things I had to try to negotiate it to mask so that I could pass. Right. And for some reason, you know, people can still tell. And of course, if your parents are with you, people know what's up. Like they can tell that you're not from these parts. Um, mm-hmm. But we lived in Uptown initially and then we moved down to 79th. Right. So Uptown is the majority. There are a lot more African immigrants who are, you know, very fresh. A lot of them tend to touch uh, the north side of Chicago first before they then figure out where they want to go when they get adjusted. And it was very you know, similar, the African booty scratch, that that whole idea of being African, we tried, I tried personally to just deviate from that, right? I changed my name. And there's another, you know, we've talked about these different nuances, but I, you know, modified my name from Kalechi to Kenny to Kells, right? Mm -hmm. To kind of make it more fitting and more American, Right. And so these 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 are, and because then you didn't know what to do with your Africanness. It was this wasn't necessarily embarrassing because, of course, the food and the party when you were with your peoples, I'm right. sure when you're with your peoples, when you're with the Ghanaians, when you're, you know, when you're eating, watching, right. you know, that stuff is fire. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Ghana, right, right. Ghana Independence Day picnic is fire. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a blast. But it's just when you go outside to your to the day to day stuff as far as school and work, having to then figure out who you were was something that, as you said, it, it took a it took probably up to college. I don't know about you, but it took me up to like college to then say, oh man, like it's dope. Like I have a best of multiple worlds. Why am I sitting here embarrassed of it? I don't know right. if that, if that applied to you as well, but if I found it very fascinating. So that disconnect that you mm-hmm. bring up re- regarding the, you know, the black Americans or, you know, African-Americans and the African immigrants. Do you think that that has, changed or do you think it's still very prevalent still it still exists um because of the, the the because of how cool it is nowadays to be african do you think relationships are becoming better what, what are your thoughts on that i have a very real answer that might make a lot of people upset speak but I'm your truth speak your truth bro i want it i think it's layered mm. right one thing that i've realized is you got to think about something again People are going to be upset. But I, I say this because I want to be honest. Mm-hmm. A lot of our parents, when they came to America, right, even if they were well to do in Ghana, which a lot of weren't, you know, or came from Africa, let me just say that. Mm-hmm. A lot of them came here because this was not their mainland. Like I, I, I listened to something that said, if someone doesn't speak English, it doesn't mean they're not intelligent. This mm-hmm. means that English is not their first language. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. But the perception of what that means here and how they were seen, right? So we got to think about it from our experiences as people who were able to assimilate and then think about it from our parents who were not able to assimilate. They had a whole different experience that we can't even relate to. Not being able to make friends, not being able to find a genuine community outside of like what their people, not being able to find um, employment, not being able to like even articulate or defend themselves like you and I could. Mm So what does that do? A lot of them were regulated to poor, low-income environments and jobs. Yeah. So the, the people that they were associated with, whether black or white, a lot of times were in these environments where, where 
historically, you know, there's a lot of ignorance in those environments. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of us were also raised and brought up as well. The people that we were around were those that resembled, you know, lack of education, um, lack of experiences, and as such would see Africans as, you know, lesser than um, just because of that's where, you know, they were um, in terms of their environment. When I got to college or as I became older and I was able to pick my own social, my circles, I think the people that I was associated with had an elevated level of thinking to where I'm not necessarily sure if the perception of Africans have changed or the people that I was around had changed, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think um, that's why I can't confidently and know whether I can answer that question because I'm very aware in that, you know, I, for example, I had a friend tell me recently, everybody on my social, it's like everybody has a master's degree. I was like, well, that's because everybody that you know and associate with, you know, you're in a bubble. Yeah. And a lot of times you got to take yourself outside of your bubble to keep yourself um, culturally humble to understand that your reality might not be their reality. Absolutely. So um, I think realistically speaking, for me, my circles have changed over time as I've been become more exposed, become more experienced, and also have the ability to pick my own social networks, not based off of my environment, that mm-hmm. um, I think like people are just more whole and able to like accept other perspectives. And I think that might also be part of the conversation because I um, think that's a little bit, I think that's a little bit of it. Okay. Would you agree with that? Oh, no. Yeah, for sure. Because it's right. And, and, and I'm going to tell you why I agree with it. Because I think about it with my own my own personal life, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm married, even though I'm African to the fullest and all that, you know, but I'm married to an African-American, right? And we have, you know, three kids. And yeah. the thing about it is that even in regards to just how we perceive um, not just even our cultural identity, but even the expectations, right? Because... Now, when my my wife's a, my wife's a, you know an MD, she's a physician, and I have a PhD, right? And just like the people that we surround ourselves with, are going to be within those types of similar higher end professions to some exactly. degree, right? At least at this at this point. So the, even just I'm, I'm I'm speaking on that even in terms of just like with my daughter, right? Who's the oldest right now, and she's a preteen, but she everybody that she's grown up around, she's not seen anyone who doesn't have anything less than a master's. Right. So mm-hmm. the expectation and the perceptions of how she views things is skewed and influenced by that that particular village in which we've encapsulated her in. You know what I mean? So it's like so she so and even for talking about just how we view after the relationship, you're right. It is layered. And that's an interesting way to put it, because I think some people are looking for the black and white answer. No mm-hmm. pun intended. But it's like it's kind of gray. Right. <laughs> like there are still people to this day that will say like. African. I mean, if you go to the episode and look at the comments, I mean, there's still a lot of ignorance around it. No doubt about mm-hmm. it. And it, sometimes, you know, I thought like, oh, yeah, things are changing. I don't necessarily know if it's changing or if like we've changed and as such, like my reality has changed uh, to go mm-hmm. along with it. Um, but I think there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of air, um, ignorance about it um, and lack of accurate information that's being shared. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. 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 Yeah, and people sharing their stories like this, you know what I mean? I mean, and that's why I think your your episode was very powerful and it was well produced. And I think it it more of these conversations, a lot of people tend to get excited about just the, the like when you're hyping it up and you're trying to put it together and say, hey, we want to talk about these things. And then when the time comes, you know, people either back away, they shy away, they don't really want to have it because it starts to make them feel uncomfortable when you start to really unpack 
you know, these layers that you just mm -hmm. brought up because they are, there's a lot of different things. And I can even just from different conversations that I've had, even if we want to even break it down beyond just the African and African-American, and then you throw in our Afro-Caribbean brothers and sisters, bro, like there was something that I didn't even realize existed. I was talking to one of my aunties who was like, yo, like, you know, the don't let's not forget what the Afro-Caribbeans do to us, too. And I was like, hold on. Like, what are we what are we talking about here? And she was like, like, oh, the, the Afro-Caribbeans, the ones especially from like Jamaica and the, and the islands, like they they're the ones that don't have the funny names. Right. So she's like, they're the ones who don't have the funny last names or the funny first names. They can pass because they have the more right. English, right? right, the more English names. So you got the. The, you know, the, the people who are the Simpsons and, you know, all these names yeah. that sound pretty regular, right? I guess what you want to call it compared to, you yeah. know, like all those Yoruba, Igbo, Ghanaian, Shanti names, whatever the case may be. There's this tension there that I didn't know existed either, which is the those who are from the continent feel like those from the island kind of put themselves above because they mm -hmm. are able to pass more because of their history and their ability to have these names that don't distinguish them. And they then side with the African-Americans as far as belittling the Africans. So it just then it becomes this whole like us versus them, bro. Like it's, it's such a deep dynamic that I did not understand. I've been sitting here trying to just unpack this whole, all right, your people are from here. You're living in America or in the diaspora and you're still having these strong roots to Africa. How does that impact your life? And the more conversations that I have about how we have these dual identities, these dual citizenships and how we can leverage these dual citizenships to then influence the larger black community such as mm -hmm. bringing african americans to africa exposing mm -hmm. them to the to other parts of the world to let them know that you're not mm -hmm. you're you, even if you don't feel valued here you're valued there right mm -hmm. and you can create value there in addition to creating your value here when i started trying to go on that journey which is what kind of fueled this podcast i'm starting to just unravel a whole bunch of different inner nuances that i never ever even imagined i always thought like yo people from haiti and people from ghana and people from nigeria cameroon we can all kind of relate and we can but then i think as you break it down the ones who are from jamaica from trinidad it's like they they, they can relate too but they also tend to separate themselves too so i was i was fascinated you know, I yeah. still am fascinated by that dynamic, which is why, as you said, you know, these conversations, I think, will continue to be exciting for a lot of us uh, because they, they I think there's a lot of things that I think we are starting to learn about yeah. each other um, as far as common what we have in common and what we have uh, that are different. man. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 kind of the gist with that. But now I want to know about what you feel has been the the most powerful conversation you've had so far on your show Ooh. what do you think was something that just i mean i know you talked about your episode with your friend whose mother um, committed suicide but uh what, what other than that or if you want to include that what has been the most powerful and it, it doesn't even have to be you know if you, even if it's not with the show it's on the air or whatever it can be all but i just want to know what's the most powerful conversation you've had so far you know, it's like asking a, it's like asking a parent between their their, <laughs> their favorite kids. I, I think they're all powerful. Okay. Um, and I, and I, my opinion is biased because when I look at a show, I look at it from like a lot of different angles. I look at it from 
me from how I facilitate a conversation? Was I able to give everybody on there the ability to like get their point across? Because a lot of times I feel like my job is a surrogate for the information. Mm-hmm. Um, production quality, like how I was able to set it up from the beginning to the end. Like, was I able to tell a story? So like the way I judge a show is very different than what people that watch it would judge it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm taking all those different nuances into consideration, right? I think two of the well, the the, the best produced episodes that I think I did, that I did last was um, the one that I mentioned earlier, where her um, episode two, mm-hmm. uh, her much talked about her mother um, who took her life, and then um, the pastor that talked about uh, religion in our uh, culture mm-hmm. of twenty in, in our times of twenty, in, but at the time it was twenty twenty one. Those were all around were really powerful the messaging everything landed everything connected in terms of production content myself guest everything just flowed with those mm. but i will say the episode that we're also talking about about the disconnect between african american african americans received a lot of post show engagement and to this day i just got a comment on something yesterday mm. i think people are really interested in that topic um and for everybody that watches it it's something different man like mm. when you producing stuff and, and that's why you got to get out of your head about it it's like you really never know how it's going to land and how people are going to receive it because everybody received it differently for whatever makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. And you make it about you, but it's really about the audience. It's yeah. really about how you're going to use yourself as a catalyst to be able to make a difference in whatever way makes sense for whomever it's supposed to reach. Yeah. And you got to release. It's a balance of being able to control certain aspects of it, but then at some point, which is hard. Like my first couple episodes, like I was having panic attacks when things would come out because I'm looking at it from like, mm-hmm. wow, like how do I sound? Did I do this? And and you know, I, I have weight fluctuations sometimes. I get in my head about that. And when I saw and, and the more I've done it, the more I've been able to let go of some of those insecurities and really not make it about me and really make it about because some of the messages that you receive about a show that you didn't even think would land in the way that it did, it's like you realize that it's a lot bigger than you. Yeah. Um and you know we all have a shared responsibility in my opinion to give whatever it is that we can to back to society back to the world while we're here Mm -hmm. to make us all better in whatever way that is and so for me like that's the show it's like i don't even like look at it now it's like it's mine it's more of a responsibility because of you know when i started producing it when i started to produce the show i had to detach myself from the validation from people in order to do it and not make it about how many likes that I get or how much you, you you really have to do that because if you don't, then the people control you and you want to be so secure in yourself that you are not unfazed by like the external forces of the show. Yeah. Which takes a lot of self-work. And then when you once you get to that point, so when people started watching it, like I was like expecting like maybe two two likes or something. So yeah. to I don't know if it was just to set my expectations really low. So when I you know released that promo and it went i mean you just never know what you have and how people can resonate with it and how it can really change people because it's not lost on me that you know you never know somebody could been watching the suicide episode and, and made a decision to like put a bottle of pills down you know yeah and, and that's why I do what the work that we do is so powerful absolutely so. absolutely and i think you know you you speak to a lot of things that i think uh that also that i can relate to in terms of um just kind of the overthinking process when you're trying to put together these types of content and not knowing exactly and then having to, as you said, detach yourself, right? And not be, not have a self-centered approach 
when trying to do these things. Uh, and again, you know, as I was speaking of earlier, as far as how when I went about trying to do these things, I was initially trying to, you know, kind of make it about me and my research, right? I was initially trying to convert my research work into layman's terms that people could relate to. But the more I started doing this and having guests, the more I realized that this is bigger than me. <laughs> There's so much more. There are many more stories and many more. This can it becomes like you said, your legacy. What are you trying to give back? Um, mm -hmm. So that th th those are very powerful things that you share, bro. Um, but now, when you mentioned within what you were saying, you said something that stood out, which is the idea of being a catalyst, right, mm -hmm. of change. And I, and I think. I look at what you said when you say you go back to Ghana and you travel often. Um, now, one of the things I'm realizing is that there are lots of people who are now not scared and not afraid to go back to, to Ghana in particular, and even Africa, other parts of Africa. Um, what, what are your thoughts as far as being able to bring more African-Americans to um, Africa. I see it's happening already kind of in Ghana because of Afrochella. You know, December mm -hmm. is just popping. So, but, and you went, you were just there, bro. That's how I was contacting you. Let me know what that experience was like. Man, what you going to try to make me cry on this show? <laughs> um, so, three of my best friends, uh, two of which are African-American, one is Nigeria. We actually, they came with me to Ghana and it was the first time that I had anybody, anybody that was in my life that wasn't Ghanaian go to Ghana with me. Really? Yeah, I don't know if you you used to follow me on Instagram. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if you I, called, I peaked called some. Yeah, yeah, I was, but I didn't yeah, know. I, I didn't. I thought they were like I thought some of them were from like they weren't. No, been there they before. they were. You know, and they we bought our tickets in in May, and when you know people always said they're gonna come with you to Ghana. When they bought their tickets, I I don't even I can't explain what it felt like. Um, I'm about to cry, man. Do I don't even me? know. It's 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 um, being Ghanaian is such a huge part of who I am. But a lot of my friends here are such a huge part of who I am. And as I've gotten older and that being able to merge that like meant the world to me on, on so many levels, because exactly. one, it was like they trusted me. I, I, I know what people think about Ghana and Africa. The fact that they trusted me to be able to spend 15 days with my family in Ghana meant the world to me mm -hmm. in ways that I can't even really articulate. And I'm not even sure that I've even fully unpacked myself. Mm -hmm. And it was transformational for all of us. Like we sat, we went to the slave castle, we to a turn, you know, we went to a traditional wedding. Like we, I mean, it got to the point where my friends were like, basically like locals in Ghana. And I was just like, it was, it was, it was transformational for me because I was living vicariously through them. Yeah. Like there was a huge part of my life where I was ashamed to be Ghanaian. Yeah. And as I've gotten older, it's become like a huge part of who I am. And I realized that I can't like, I cannot, I can't disregard myself from who part of who I am. Yeah. So when they came and like, I knew like they were, I just knew they were going to love it. Cause how could you not, we, you know, we, we, um, and one of the most powerful moments where after we got off, we got out of the slave castle, we did a tour of the slave castle and then we went to the beach after we just kind of sat there and talked and we mm -hmm. ate man, life changing. Mm -hmm. We talked about everything from just like the disc. We talked about the disconnect again off camera mm -hmm. But it was like, I think a lot of times, too, like we don't un fully understand the black experience and how broken the black family is. And as a result of like how that shaped the reality and the narrative of black people. And I think a lot of times that's the, also the ownership that we have to take is that because of our parents experiences, we took a lot of judgment. We took a lot of um, of what they said and made it law. 
Mm-hmm. And subconsciously, sometimes like we subscribe to those beliefs, you know, um, and it was a thing where it's like they don't got nowhere to go to, man. Like, I, I mean, and I didn't realize it was such a big deal, but it's like even me, I'm currently like thinking like, dang, March, I get a week off work. I'm going to go to Ghana. You know, yeah. they don't have that, man. Like, you know, you got to think about it from the perspective of being somewhere where you also know that you're here and knowing your family lineage has been screwed for generations and this is all you have and you don't really have that family structure and all of that it's it's mm-hmm. it's a big problem and I, I i think to answer your question how do i feel about taking black people back home man yeah. i would say if you have the opportunity do it. Yeah. it it changes the world you got to think like mike said something powerful on my episode and he said we're doing it in real time my kids are not going to see my black friends as like those black they're going to see them as uncle yeah their 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 kids are not gonna be calling nobody African beauty stars. They're gonna see you know Uncle Kofi as uncle. They're gonna be seen as uncle. Yeah. We're, we're bridging that gap now in real time. And a lot of times that's about the reality of us having conversations about our shared experiences and not assimilating and not um, skirting under the rug. You know, yeah. my my mom when when it came to Ghana, she hung their pictures on the wall and said, "Oh, this is now your home." Oh. It meant the world to them. You know, like I feel that they always like you know they always feel like they when they come to Ghana they got a place to stay this is home and like now they send me videos from when they see stuff on Ghana Twitter they be sending me videos so now they understand it from like a the, I've experienced this I know what you're talking about like how corrupt the police are yeah, like yeah. how they, they get it they yeah. get certain aspects of it and I think um that was powerful for me on so many levels if I'm just being honest and I haven't I don't think I've even been able to tell them like having them in my home it got to remember the world to me bro yeah. it meant the world to me because like it was it was for me like a a, a thing that i was born here in chicago mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so like for a lot of times i didn't early on get that ghanaian experience by being in ghana mm-hmm. yeah, i got that later in life yeah. so a lot of my identity was based off of a lot of black culture but being raised in a ghanaian household mm-hmm. so now mm-hmm. being able to have people that i consider to be brothers who i was able to share that part of myself with on such an intimate personal level Man, it, it's unexplainable, like, what that even feels like, man. I ain't gonna lie to you. It's, it's, un, it's unexplainable. That is beautiful. That's amazing, bro. And I, I tried to suppress my tears. Like, you heard bro, it. You should, you let it. I heard it, but I, I feel it. And the part where you just said, you know, when your mom said, you're home, and hang your picture. Bro, I can, because I'm really good at empathizing and just putting myself in, in other shoes. And, and I can only imagine that feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. After being disconnected for so long, not having an idea and coming to Africa and then someone from there who's there, who's family, like, and they're saying you're home. Like, mm-hmm. bro, that's, mm, that's real. That's real. That's they real. Sat, they sat on a plane and went across the Atlantic Ocean to come see where I was from, man. I, don't, I, I, I can't explain what that feels like. Have you ever had the opportunity to take some friends back home? No, man. I mean, I'm take, I took my, I took my wife. You know, obviously, but you know, I, I'm not not to not to water that down because that was an yeah. experience for her. The first time she came, once we got engaged, you know, she went there, and you know, it was it was powerful for her the first time when we landed in Abuja because it was like so we haven't done the Lagos thing, which is a different vibe, right? But um, she was able to just be like, "Yo, I'm in a country where everybody I'm seeing is black." Yeah, right, and yeah. I mean even Nigeria more so than Ghana because I think Ghana definitely has you see a lot more you know white people there, but in she was just like whoa like I've never 
never seen mm. this the, just the whole culture being able to haggle when you know buying stuff in the market right it's like not customary if you just say what is this ten dollars and you're not like oh my god ten dollars what's, what's like if you're not doing that then it's like so she having to immerse herself in that was powerful but i want to take my homies my my yeah. peoples my home girl like because i feel like that's that's us that shows what you just said that that faith that's that trust in you mm -hmm. to be able to bring you somewhere that you that holds a huge part of who you are um mm -hmm. that's you take everywhere with you no matter where you go even while you're struggling in america you know when you get back to the crib with your parents you're still Ghanaian, nigerian at heart whatever so yeah. for them to trust you to, yeah. to go it's, it's it means a lot right and i think it that it meant a lot when my wife did that but it also was like we're getting married you're trusting me with a lot more right yeah. so, <laughs> like i can't mess that up either but with my friends the people who don't really have to put anything that's who don't really have to put any stake in the game i want to do that so badly i really do yeah. I, i'm hoping that i happen sometime in the future because i want to kind of have that feeling that you just had of being able to have see and just watch what my friends go through when they yeah. when they are welcomed home you yeah know, that day. It's you, when you do it, it's going to be interesting the things that mean the most to them. Because, mm. like, you know, I was trying to make sure they had a little bit of everything, the lid. I was trying to make them comfortable, but it was like the moments of like traditional wedding. Yeah. It was the slave castle. And I took them to church on 31st night because, you know, that's what Africans do. Yeah, uh, crossover. Yeah. Well, before we go to the club, we go to church. You crossover. Yeah. It, do was, it, yeah. it was a very, <laughs> how do I say this nicely? It wasn't an Americanized church by any means. It was, it was raw. Yeah. And when we were there, I was like, man, I know they're really uncomfortable because everybody was looking at us and they met us in the front. But we got in the car and it was like, man, that was dope to see. Yeah. You know, um, it was dope. So it was it was interesting to see the things that meant a lot to them. And and as they're viewing these things, mm -hmm. the unpacking that you can start to see that they're doing it from all the things that they've learned. It's it's like about the, the culture and then the parts of it that are shocking to them. Like, wow, y'all have a really you know, it's beautiful and it's great, but also acknowledging some of the the deep issues with Africa while also acknowledging it's a, it's superior beauty at the same time, yeah. you know, and watching them go through that. Because a lot of times with us, it's so first nature that we don't realize how transformational it is in real time for someone who's not from there. Yeah. Like, I go, you know, I'm a different, I'm talking like this now. I get to Ghana, man, my accent switches. I become changes. like, I know how to haggle, you know, so yeah. it's like, I'm just so used to that switching back between both. Yeah. That it's like taking a step back and looking at them, you know, my friend uh, Jerry, he got got somebody. <laughs> he they charged him four hundred cities for something that was sixty cities. Oh. And the first time I've been telling him watch yourself, but he's so in his head. He he's used to American way, the American right, way. Right, right. And we were in the car. It was so my homie, other homie, Laredo goes, I pay sixty cities. He said, I pay four hundred cities for this. And he was like, nigga, I pay sixty. <laughs> His whole life flashed before his eyes. You could tell it affected him because he was like, man. God, God. It, from that moment, he started to get a little more aggressive when he was going out. Like, you, you know, to. it was like, you, it was, you know, so um, it, it was powerful, man. I, I definitely think that's how we're going to bridge this because the, the, the difference between them and us is that we have had to learn about black culture. Exactly. We had to. They've never had to do that. So it's like, it kind of bridges a gap when they're able to now put into perspective things that they otherwise would not have been able to without that level of shared experience mm -hmm. to some degree. Um, you know, because you could tell them certain things, but it's like, 
for, for them, they don't understand what it's like in many cases to literally be in a country where running water is not a thing. They, they don't under, you can't conceptualize that. You can be, you could be told, but you don't understand from a feeling perspective until you've had to go through it. You know, like we were getting ready to go to airport and Ghana had light off. So now nobody can take a shower and do anything. <laughs> they, they, they were like, wait, what happened is like, that's just a thing. We don't have enough electricity in the country. So they shut off. Like to be able to like, they, they were processing certain things like, wow, I am privileged to an extent by being in America, right? Yeah. They can't, like, you can't put the, connect those dots until you've been in a place that you've actually seen that. Like, yeah. what? Like, little kids don't have to go to school. They're selling on the street. Like, yeah, that's not, they like, you know, a lot of things that they were able to learn just by being there. So it, it was, it was, uh, it was great. It was powerful. It meant a lot. Bro, you that, have to do it. I hope you get the opportunity to do that more because I'm hoping to do that more as well. But um, without taking too much more time, um, I already appreciate the time you've given. Now, I, I do want to ask a couple more things. One is what's what's next for the evolution of the Jeremy Kofi conversation? Yeah, we are in production now for season two. OK, uh, my first interview is scheduled uh, actually next week. Um, I'm talking to an ex NFL player that is talking about his life post NFL. Connie mm-hmm. um, an NFL player who um is dealing with some mental health issues want to talk about mental health so that's my first conversation i'm excited about it because he's excited we're beefing up our production um in this new season um and everything everything's flowing so i hope everybody looks out for that and um you know just trying to grow our platform to get a bigger reach Mm. things that we're working on um and seeing how we can constantly raise the bar for ourselves which is hard it's not hard, but it's, it's more so like challenging, right? Like yeah. the more you do something, the more you want to raise the bar for yourself and for everyone. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Um, and we have some other things lined up that I don't want to talk about yet because I, I want to confirm them up front. But that's the first thing to look out for. Okay. Uh, probably sometime in March that'll come out. Okay. And lastly, yeah. what do you, so what do you, what do you want it all to mean at the end? What do you, what, what do you want your, your legacy to be? If you talked about wanting to do something for the you know for, for for while you're living you want to be able to leave something what do you want your legacy to be i want my legacy to be almost intangible mm. you know mm. um i genuinely don't believe that sometimes we'll know the fullness of like people that we've reached but i, I do want at the very least i want people anybody that comes into contact with me whether it's through a platform whether it's in person um, to fill a sense of safe space with me. And then the, the, the thing that I think will make me the proudest is if people could say, I couldn't be myself around a lot of people, but I could be my full self around Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Like that would mean the most to me, I think. Um, so I think a lot of times, like, we're just really judgmental as people without even realizing it. We've been taught so much. We have to unpack so much. And, and um, it's easy for us to accept narratives from our reality, but it's so hard for us to accept narratives from other realities. And I, and I like to think that I'm a person that even, you know, people will be surprised. I have friends that others would consider to be racist, you mm-hmm. know, because um, I'm just aware that they're on their journey. You know, I think you in some cases can be racist if you're raised in an environment that uh, if you were raised in an environment that perpetuated racism, then you naturally would become a racist. Absolutely. Right. Like I consider, I think for a large part of my life, I didn't understand feminism. I didn't understand like what it meant. Like when, you know, those, those female movements where everybody would be like, well, women, this woman, that, to be honest, I didn't get it, mm. man. I did not get it. And I couldn't say that publicly, but I didn't get it. 
until one day my cousin asked me and said, um, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? And I was like, oh, no, when you get into your car. I was like, uh, I don't know. I just turned my radio on. She's like, and then what? And I was like, well, I started. She was like, and then what? And then she kept asking me that. And then finally, she, I was like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you asking me? She's like, no, the first thing I do when I get in my car every day, especially at a certain part of night. I was like, what's that? I was like, what's that? She was like, lock my door. And it was something about that that just made me realize, like, the reason why, like, I would never understand what it's like to be a woman because I'm not one. Right. So, like, that's right. not my reality. Right. So I try to be somebody that is graceful and, and gives people patience and all that. And that's from all different perspectives, all different conversation topics and stuff. Um, so that's that was what I would say. I would say, like, I, I want people to feel a sense of safe space around me. Yeah. Um, not, and I, um, I hope that's a, a huge part of my legacy. Bro, no, I think I think you're well on your way because um, I definitely felt safe here. <laughs> and I hope you did, too. Uh, thank you. Um, so did, much man. thank you so much uh, again man um, brother jeremy kofi here from the uh, jeremy kofi convo joining us again uh brother, thank you so much for your time for your insight uh man you really shared some rich stuff that i don't even think you understood what you just said and, and the impact a lot of people are going to feel from, from listening to this in the future but i do hope that whatever um, you know whatever i can do over here to support you know your platform and help it you know, continue to expand and your message you know reach the people that it needs to reach please don't hesitate to utilize me as as a tool a resource whatever i can do man i, I want to see you win um because i think a lot of the things that you're doing are very powerful and as far as bridging that gap in real time man and um and i hope that we continue to stay in touch um and continue to help one another grow of course and, and thank you for having me and, and i and i really do think that this platform that you also have is, is going to do a lot of things for a lot of people in ways in which you don't even you can't even imagine right now so um keep going i i understand how it is to have a platform like this and um consistency over time these results you know so thank you thank you so much for having me it's no, a pleasure no problem bro appreciate you we hope you enjoyed this episode of my black is transnational i'd like to thank mr jeremy kofi for his time and his insight it's a lovely conversation to learn more about the Jeremy Kofi Convo by visiting his website at www.jeremykofi.com. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, download, and follow this podcast wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Also, be sure to check out our website at www.blacktransnational.com. It's a one-stop shop to learn more about our guests, learn more about our show, and even listen to some shows if you want to catch up on some past seasons. With that being said, again, thank you so much for listening and thank you for your time. Until next episode... My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lambert. My black is transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace. <laughs>